0: Welcome to the World War II Radio Podcast. Today we have President Franklin Roosevelt's fireside chat of May 27th, 1941. In this talk, his 17th fireside chat, FDR predicts Nazi intentions to gain control of the Western Hemisphere. He also argues that freedom of the seas is essential to preventing German victory, and the support of Britain in their fight against the Nazis plays a pivotal role in preserving freedom. The World War II Radio Podcast is a brick-pickle media production. If you like the show, please leave feedback on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. You can also support the show by clicking on the link in the show notes and offering your financial support. Your donations help us to continue to produce the podcast, and thanks to those of you who have already donated. So thanks for listening, and enjoy today's episode of the World War II Radio Podcast. And now, ladies and gentlemen, the President of the United States. My fellow Americans of all the Americas, my friends, I am speaking tonight from the White House in the presence of the Governing Board of the Pan-American Union, the Canadian Minister, and their families. The members of this board are the ambassadors and ministers of the American republics in Washington. It is appropriate that I do this, for now as never before, the unity of the American republic is of supreme importance to each and every one of us and to the cause of freedom throughout the world. Our future, our future independence is bound up with the future independence of all of our sister republics. The pressing problems that confront us are military and naval problems. We cannot afford to approach them from the point of view of wishful thinkers or sentimentalists. What we face is cold, hard fact. The first and fundamental fact is that what started as a European war has developed as the Nazis always intended it should develop, into a war for world domination. Adolf Hitler never considered the domination of Europe as an end in itself. European conquest was but a step toward ultimate goals in all the other continents. It is unmistakably apparent to all of us that unless the advance of Hitlerism is forcibly checked now. The Western Hemisphere will be within range of the Nazi weapons of destruction. For our own defense, we have accordingly undertaken certain obvious necessary measures. First, we have joined in concluding a series of agreements with all the other American republics. This further solidified our hemisphere against the common danger. And then, a year ago, we launched and are successfully carrying out the largest armament production program we have ever undertaken. We have added substantially to our splendid Navy, and we have mustered our manpower to build up a new army which is already worthy of the highest traditions of our military service. We instituted a policy of aid for the democracies the nations which have fought for the continuation of human liberty. This policy had its origin in the first month of the war when I urged upon the Congress repeal of the arms embargo provisions in the old neutrality law. And in that message of September 1939, I said I should like to be able to offer the hope that the shadow over the world might swiftly pass. I cannot. The facts compel my stating with candor that darker periods may lie ahead. In the subsequent months, the shadows did deepen and lengthen. And the night spread over Poland, Denmark, Norway, Holland, Belgium, Luxembourg, and France. In June 1940, Britain stood alone, faced with the same machine of terror which had overwhelmed her allies. Our government rushed arms to meet her desperate needs. In September 1940, an agreement was completed with Great Britain for the trade of 50 destroyers for eight important offshore bases. And in March 1941, this year, the Congress passed the Lend-Lease Bill and an appropriation of $7 billion to implement it. This law realistically provided for material aid for the government of any country whose defense the president deems vital to the defense of the United States. Our whole program of aid for the democracies has been based on hard-headed concern for our own security and for the kind of safe and civilized world in which we wish to live. Every dollar of material that we send helps to keep the dictators away from our own hemisphere. And every day that they are held off gives us time To build more guns and tanks and planes and ships. We have made no pretense about our own self-interest in this aid. Great Britain understands it. And so does Nazi Germany. And now after a year, Britain still fights gallantly on a far-flung battle line. We have doubled and redoubled our vast production, increasing month by month our material supply of the tools of war for ourselves and for Britain and for China, and eventually for all the democracies. The supply of these tools will not fail. It will increase. With greatly augmented strength, the United States and the other American republics Now chart their course in the situation of today. Your government knows what terms Hitler, if victorious, would impose. They are indeed the only terms on which he would accept a so-called negotiated peace. And under those terms, Germany would literally parcel out the world hoisting the swastika itself over vast territories and populations and setting up puppet governments of its own choosing, wholly subject to the will and the policy of a conqueror. To the people of the Americas, a triumphant Hitler would say, as he said after the seizure of Austria and as he said after Munich, And as he said after the seizure of Czechoslovakia, I am now completely satisfied. This is the last territorial readjustment I will see. And he would, of course, add, all we want is peace and friendship and profitable trade relations with you in the new world. Were any of us in the Americas so incredibly simple and forgetful as to accept those honeyed words, what would then happen? Those in the new world who were seeking profits would be urging that all that the dictatorships desired was peace. They would oppose toil and taxes for more American armament. And meanwhile, the dictatorships would be forcing the enslaved peoples of their old world conquests into a system they are even now organizing to build to build a naval and air force intended to gain and hold and be master of the Atlantic and the Pacific as well. They would fasten an economic stranglehold upon our several nations. Whistlings would be found to subvert the governments in our republics, and the Nazis would back their fifth columns with invasion if necessary. No, I am not speculating about all this. I merely repeat what is already in the Nazi book of world conquest. They plan to treat the Latin American nations as they are now treating the Balkans. They plan then to strangle the United States of America and the dominion of Canada. The American laborer would have to compete with slave labor in the rest of the world. Minimum wages, maximum hours, nonsense. Wages and hours fixed by Hitler. The dignity and power and standard of living of the American worker and farmer would be gone. Trade unions would become historic a relics and collective bargaining a joke. Farm income, what happens to all farm surpluses without any foreign trade? The American farmer would get for his products exactly what Hitler wanted to give. And the farmer would face obvious disaster and complete regimentation. Tariff walls. Chinese walls of isolation would be futile. Freedom to trade is essential to our economic life. We do not eat all the food we produce. We do not burn all the oil we can pump. We do not use all the goods we can manufacture. It would not be an American wall to keep Nazi goods out. It would be a Nazi wall to keep us in the whole fabric of working life as we know it, business and manufacturing, mining and agriculture, all would be mangled and crippled under such a system. Yet to maintain even that crippled independence would require permanent conscription of our manpower. It would curtail the funds we could spend on education, on housing, on public works, on flood control, on health. And instead... We should be permanently pouring our resources into armaments. And year in and year out, standing day and night watch against the destruction of our cities. Yes, even our right of worship would be threatened. The Nazi world does not recognize any god except Hitler. For the Nazis are as ruthless as the Communists in the denial of God. What place has religion which preaches the dignity of the human being, the majesty of the human soul, in a world where moral standards are measured by treachery and bribery and fifth columnists? Will our children, too, wander off, goose stepping in search of new gods, we do not accept, we will not permit this Nazi shape of things to come. It will never be forced upon us if we act in this present crisis with the wisdom and the courage which have distinguished our country in all the crises of the past. Today... The Nazis have taken military possession of the greater part of Europe. In Africa, they have occupied Tripoli and Libya, and they are threatening Egypt, the Suez Canal, and the Near East. But their plans do not stop there, for the Indian Ocean is the gateway to the farther east. They also have the armed power at any moment to occupy Spain and Portugal. And that threat extends not only to French North Africa and the western end of the Mediterranean Sea, it extends also to the Atlantic fortress of Dakar and to the island outposts of the New World, the Azores and Cape Verde Islands. Yes, these Cape Verde Islands are only seven hours' distance from Brazil, by bomber or troop-carrying planes. They dominate shipping routes to and from the South Atlantic. The war is approaching the brink of the Western Hemisphere itself. It is coming very close to home. Control our occupation by Nazi forces of any of the islands of the Atlantic would jeopardize the immediate safety of portions of North and South America and of the island possessions of the United States and, therefore, of the ultimate safety of the continental United States itself. Hitler's plan of world domination would be near its accomplishment today were it not for two factors. One is the epic resistance of Britain her colonies, and the great dominions, fighting not only to maintain the existence of the island of Britain, but also to hold the Near East and Africa. The other is the magnificent defense of China, which will, I have reason to believe, increase in strength. And all of these together are preventing the axis from winning control of the seas by ships and aircraft. The Axis powers can never achieve their objective of world domination unless they first obtain control of the seas. That is their supreme purpose today, and to achieve it, they must capture Great Britain. They could then have the power to dictate to the Western Hemisphere no spurious argument, no appeal to sentiment. No false pledges like those given by Hitler at Munich can deceive the American people into believing that he and his Axis partners would not, with Britain defeated, close in relentlessly on this hemisphere of ours. But if the Axis powers fail to gain control of the seas, then they are certainly defeated their dreams of world domination will then go by the board. And the criminal leaders who started this war will suffer inevitable disaster. Both they and their people know this. And they and their people are afraid. That is why they are risking everything they have, conducting desperate attempts to break through to the command of the oceans. Once they are limited to a continuing land war, their cruel forces of occupation will be unable to keep their heel on the necks of the millions of innocent, oppressed peoples on the continent of Europe. And in the end, their whole structure will break into little pieces. And let us remember that the wider the Nazi land effort, the greater is their ultimate danger. We do not forget the silenced people. Masters of Germany, those at least who have not been assassinated or escaped to free soil, have marked these silenced peoples and their children's children for slavery. But those people, spiritually unconquered, Austrians, Czechs, Poles, Norwegians, Dutch, Belgians, Frenchmen, Greeks, southern Slavs, yes, even those Italians and Germans who themselves have been enslaved, will prove to be a powerful force in the final disruption of the Nazi system. All freedom, meaning freedom to live and not freedom to conquer and subjugate other peoples, depends on freedom of the seas. All of American history, North, Central, and South American history, has been inevitably tied up with those words, freedom of the seas. Since 1799, 142 years ago, when our infant Navy made the West Indies and the Caribbean and the Gulf of Mexico safe for American ships, Since 184 and 185, when we made all peaceful commerce safe from the depredations of the Barbary pirates, since the War of 1812, which was fought for the preservation of sailors' rights, since 1867, when our sea power made it possible for the Mexicans to expel the French army of Louis Napoleon, we have striven and fought in defense of freedom of the seas. Freedom of the seas for our own shipping, for the commerce of our sister republics, for the right of all nations to use the highways of world trade, and for our own safety. During the First World War, we were able to escort merchant ships by the use of small cruisers and gunboats and destroyers, and that type called convoy, was effective against submarines. In this Second World War, however, the problem is greater. It is different. Because the attack on the freedom of the seas is now fourfold. First, the improved submarine. Second, the much greater use of the heavily armed raiding cruiser or the hit-and-run battleship. Third, the bombing aeroplane which is capable of destroying merchant ships seven or eight hundred miles from its nearest base. And fourth, the destruction of merchant ships in those ports of the world that are accessible to bombing attacks. The Battle of the Atlantic now extends from the icy waters of the North Pole to the frozen continent of the Antarctic. Throughout this huge area, there have been sinkings of merchant ships in alarming and increasing numbers by Nazi raiders or submarines. There have been sinkings even of ships carrying neutral flags. There have been sinkings in the South Atlantic, off West Africa, in the Cape Verde Islands, between the Azores and the islands off the American coast, and between Greenland and Iceland. Great numbers of these sinkings have been actually within the waters of the Western Hemisphere itself. The blunt truth of this seems to be this, and I reveal this with the full knowledge of the British government. The present rate of Nazi sinkings of merchant ships is more than three times as high as the capacity of British shipyards to replace them. It is more than twice the combined British and American output of merchant ships today. We can answer this peril by two simultaneous measures. First, by speeding up and increasing our own great shipbuilding program, and second, by helping to cut down the losses on the high seas. Attacks on shipping off the very shores of land which we are determined to protect, present an actual military danger to the Americas. And that danger has recently been heavily underlined by the presence in Western Hemisphere waters of a Nazi battleship of great striking power. You remember that most of the supplies for Britain go by a northerly route, which comes close to Greenland and the nearby island of Iceland. Germany's heaviest attack is on that route. Nazi occupation of Iceland, or bases in Greenland, would bring the war close to our own continental shores because those places are stepping stones to Labrador, to Newfoundland, to Nova Scotia, Yes, to the northern United States itself, including the great industrial centers of the north, the east, and the middle west. Equally, the Azores and the Cape Verde Islands, if occupied or controlled by Germany, would directly endanger the freedom of the Atlantic and our own American physical safety. Under German domination... Those islands would become bases for submarines, warships, and airplanes, raiding the waters that lie immediately off our own coast and attacking the shipping in the South Atlantic. They would provide a springboard for actual attack against the integrity and the independence of Brazil and her neighboring republics. I have said on many occasions that the United States is mustering its men and its resources only for purposes of defense, only to repel attack. I repeat that statement now. But we must be realistic when we use the word attack. We have to relate it to the lightning speed of modern warfare. Some people seem to think that we are not attacked until bombs actually drop in the streets of New York or San Francisco or New Orleans or Chicago. But they are simply shutting their eyes to the lesson that we must learn from the fate of every nation that the Nazis have conquered. The attack on Czechoslovakia began with the conquest of Austria, The attack on Norway began with the occupation of Denmark. The attack on Greece began with occupation of Albania and Bulgaria. The attack on the Suez Canal began with the invasion of the Balkans and North Africa. And the attack on the United States can begin with the domination of any base which menaces our security north or south. Nobody can foretell tonight just when the acts of the dictators will ripen into attack on this hemisphere and us. But we know enough by now to realize that it will be suicide to wait until they are in our front yard. When your enemy comes at you in a tank or a bombing plane, if you hold your fire... Until you see the whites of his eyes, you will never know what hit you. Our bunker hill of tomorrow may be several thousand miles from Boston, Massachusetts. Anyone with an atlas, anyone with a reasonable knowledge of the sudden striking force of modern war knows that it is stupid to wait until a probable enemy has gained a foothold from which to attack. Old-fashioned common sense calls for the use of a strategy that'll prevent such an enemy from gaining a foothold in the first place. We have accordingly extended our patrol in North and South Atlantic waters. We are steadily adding more and more ships and planes to that patrol. It is well known that the strength of the Atlantic fleet has been greatly increased during the past year and that it is constantly being built up. These ships and planes warn of the presence of attacking raiders on the sea, under the sea, and above the sea. The danger from these raiders is, of course, greatly lessened if their location is definitely known. And we are thus being forewarned. We shall be on our guard against efforts to establish Nazi bases closer to our hemisphere. The deadly facts of war compel nations for simple preservation to make stern choices. It does not make sense, for instance, to say, I believe in the defense of all the Western Hemisphere and in the next breath to say, I will not fight for that defense until the enemy has landed on our shores. If we believe in the independence and the integrity of the Americas, we must be willing to fight, to fight to defend them just as much as we would fight for the safety of our own homes. It is time for us to realize that the safety of American homes, even in the center of this, our own country, has a very definite relationship to the continued safety of homes in Nova Scotia or Trinidad or Brazil. Our national policy today, therefore, is this. First, we shall actively resist wherever necessary, and with all our resources, every attempt by Hitler to extend his Nazi domination to the Western Hemisphere. As a military force, we were weak when we established our independence, but we successfully stood off tyrants, powerful in their day, tyrants who are now lost in the dust of history. Odds meant nothing to us then. Shall we now with all our potential strength, hesitate to take every single measure necessary to maintain our American liberty. Our people and our government will not hesitate to meet that challenge. As the president of a united and determined people, I say solemnly, we reassert the ancient American doctrine of freedom of the sea. We reassert the solidarity of the 21 American republics and the dominion of Canada in the preservation of the independence of the hemisphere. We have pledged material support to the other democracies of the world and we will fulfill that pledge. We, in the Americas, will decide for ourselves whether and when and where our American interests are attacked or our security threatened. We are placing our armed forces in strategic military positions. We will not hesitate to use our armed forces to repel attacks we reassert our abiding faith in the vitality of our constitutional republic as a perpetual home of freedom, of tolerance, and of devotion to the word of God. Therefore, with profound consciousness of my responsibilities to my countrymen and to my country's cause, I have tonight issued a proclamation that an unlimited national emergency exists and requires the strengthening of our defense to the extreme limit of our national power and authority. The nation will expect all individuals and all groups to play their full part ...without selfishness and without doubt that our democracy will triumphantly survive. I repeat the words of the signers of the Declaration of Independence. That little band of patriots fighting long ago against overwhelming odds, but certain as we are now... Of ultimate victory. With a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. Ladies and gentlemen, the world has heard the president of the United States who spoke tonight from the East Room of the White House delivering the fireside chat was arranged after the cancellation of his remarks planned for the Pan American reception in honor of the president and Mrs. Roosevelt.